0: Hello, Emmaus. Hi. Um, so, yes, as they previously said, my name is Susie Park. I'm one of the pastors at New Philly I have the pleasure of doing all the fun stuff at our church. Like, I get to worship, like pray, like rebuke our leaders. I get to do all that fun stuff. Um, so it's really my pleasure to be able to come uh, to Emmaus. I don't know if you guys know, like I was at Emmaus like a million years ago. Like I was super old, like, but a million years ago, I was here at Yonsei as an exchange student, and it is like an amazing transformation that I underwent. Even through 615 prayer, uh, every large group, I used to be like a Holy Spirit hater, like, like hardcore hater. I would like sit in the back and like judge people, and I, I was that person, very hard-hearted, very close to um, to God, doing something that wasn't uh like wasn't on my terms if that makes any sense. And the Holy Spirit has a way of like offending you in that way. Like, you know, you're not supposed to behave like that. We have guests over. Like you're supposed to behave yourself. And um the Holy Spirit has a way of breaking out of that box. Um and so it was through Emmaus that I was actually really set on fire uh, for the Lord. I got reacquainted, rediscovered God in a whole different new dimension. And it was through Emmaus and through the discipleship that Emmaus brought uh, that I was able to grapple with a lot of different questions that I had, especially regarding the Holy Spirit. Um, So I hope you guys don't take for granted what you guys have here. Like, it's really amazing. What you guys are doing more and more as society gets even more secularized, and especially in the academic world, it becomes more and more like, oh, you still believe in that? Like, you know, it becomes more and more like, oh, maybe I shouldn't be very public about my faith. As it becomes more secularized, even in Christian universities, what you guys are doing here is very countercultural. I want you guys to know that it's, it takes guts to uh, still believe in a prayer, still believe that God works supernaturally, still believe that there is power, that God can do something in a group of people that say, all right, I'm going to give this a shot. Even if I have four months here, I'm going to give the best that I have for the four months that God has me here, and we'll see where this goes. And I've seen over and over again, semester after semester, how God takes very small sacrifices that we make on our part, very small commitments that we make on our part, even saying like, all right, I'm going to be there every large group. That's going to be my commitment. That's all I can commit for. Um, even God takes something like that and really blesses you abundantly. So I don't take it for granted either that you guys are here doing your midterms. Midterms. Um, I honestly believe that the more you sacrifice to be here, God like makes sure that you guys get blessed. God says, all right, I see the sacrifice. I see the cost. I see that you're sleep deprived, but you're still hungry enough to come out here and you're zoning in and out of the message and that's okay, but you're here and you fought to be here and you are here on time and you're attentive and you're ready for the word. God, it matters to God. That kind of posture. So thank you guys for being here. I think it's quite a miracle that you guys are all here and are relatively awake. Um, so yes, uh, I uh, have a very particular burden. I think for uh, people, mostly people that are younger than me, uh, because I feel like you guys have somewhat are somewhat at a disadvantage. And let me explain myself. You guys are at a disadvantage because uh, your generation more than ever. Uh, you guys have much more of an uphill climb when it comes to following Jesus. Number one, because distractions are many more than they used to be. Um, so many distractions, so many resources, so many advertisements, so many people voicing their opinions, like clamoring for your attention, so many different voices to listen to. And none of them kind of like uh, jut out more than the other. And it's like, such a pain in the butt sometimes, like to be able to discern, okay, who's saying what, who has authority, what word has weight in my life, and it feels like there's just so much uh, like white noise, and you guys have to discern through all of that, through all the junk, through good stuff and bad stuff, you, you have the almost impossible task to like listen to what the world is saying, listen to what the church is saying, and be able to discern what voice holds truth, what truth holds water. Like you guys have that, that very difficult task. And I think it's harder more than ever. And, um, it's not just because of social media outlets and it's not just because you guys are in a, in a city like Seoul where there's just everything going on 24 seven. Uh, but it's also, uh, because there's certain realities that right now are much more accessible, uh, for your generation. Things like, uh, you know, online pornography um like hyper sexualized unrealistic expectations um just so many things that i feel like it was harder like you had to go out of your way to find these things before and now it's like you have to like battle against them um 24 7 and there are times when i'm sure it will be exhausting and there's times when i feel like many of you will grow tired and will grow weary of like oh, uh, do I have to do this? Like, do I have to fight? I feel like, do I have to uh, be different from, like, my, you know, my classmate? And I really want to tell you guys that that battle is worth it. Like, however hard it is, I feel like there's that much more of a burden on your generation to hold fast to truth. And you guys are going to feel like it's a battle because it is more than ever. Um, but know that there are people that are praying for you, people that are willing to disciple you through it. There's a community that wants you to remain strong and not just here, but also once you go back home if you're an exchange student. Can I see a show of hands? Like who's here short term just for the semester? Oh my goodness. That's a ton of you guys. Who's here for like four years? Wow. <coughs> Wait, I feel like this group raise their hands twice. Um, <laughs> Are you guys awake? Uh, um, but regardless, like what you guys are doing here and how you spend the semester that you guys are here or how you guys invest your time, your attention, your energy, your very few hours that you have to sleep and to study, how you invest that, it's going to bear much fruit for years to come. Like This is going to set you in a trajectory. And I really believe it because I've seen so many people that have been transformed through Emmaus. Um, and I'm definitely one of them. Um so, as I was preparing for this message, I did a lot of research, so I was actually looking up. Have you guys ever heard of this phenomenon called delayed adolescence, delayed adolescence or uh, pre adulthood? Yeah. so this is a pretty recent phenomenon I, I hope you guys understand that this is partly man made but it 's also like something that is Uh, becoming an issue like now it wasn't an issue like even just 10 years back and i was looking up all these different articles Uh, one of them published in wall street journal uh, in the year 2011 it says uh, it's titled and the title is very telling where have the good men gone Uh, it's very pessimistic in that way but i just want to read to you guys an excerpt from that article it says like adolescents in the 20th century today's pre-adults have been waitlisted for adulthood. Marketers and culture creators help to promote pre adulthood as a lifestyle. And like adolescents, pre adulthood is a class based social phenomenon reserved for the relatively well to do. Uh, those who don't get a four year college degree are not in a position to compete for the more satisfying jobs of the knowledge economy. And at the same time, young men. So this is kind of talking about, like, uh, men in particular. Young men are tuning into cable channels like Comedy Central and Cartoon Network and Spike, uh, whose shows reflected the adolescent male preferences of its targeted male audiences. They watch movies with overgrown boy actors like Steve Carell, Luke and Owen Wilson, Jim Carrey, Adam Sandler, Will Ferrell, uh, Seth Rogen, cheering their... uh, How do you say his name? Oh, my bad. <laughs> See, that's already a cultural gap. Okay. South, uh, sorry. Rogan? Rogan. Why do you spell your name? Okay, anyway. <laughs> um, okay. Cheering their awesome car crashes, fart jokes, breast and crotch shots, beer pong competitions, and other frat boy pranks, Americans had always struck foreigners as a youthful, even childlike, in, in their energy and optimism. This is really interesting. I was very fascinated uh, by, this, um, by this article that was kind of analyzing like what has happened to, especially in the realm of like 20 to like 35 year olds, like in that realm, where it used to be like pretty uh, normal to kind of be settled or kind of like be in a certain trajectory or a certain direction, but something's happening. Uh, all I'm saying is like something's happening in our generation and we can't be like, well, things will work out. Like eventually I'll figure out my life. But it's something that's not just happening to you. if That's where you feel you are. Uh, there's another article that's titled The Death of Adulthood. And it's called it's, it was published in New York Times and it was published uh, last year. And this is what it says. It is now possible to conceive of adulthood as a state of being forever young. Childhood, once a condition of limited autonomy and deferred pleasure, like wait until you're older, uh, is now a zone of perpetual freedom and delight. Grown people feel no compulsion to put away childish things. We can live with our parents. We go to summer camp, play dodgeball, collect dolls and action figures, and watch cartoons to our heart's content these symptoms of arrested development will also be signs that we are freer, more honest and happier than the uptight fools who let go of such pastimes. There are, um, and then there, you know, there are, they go on and on. And there's a lot of different articles. If you guys (coughs) just Google delayed adulthood, but it's something that is very singular. That is, that is very unique. That is happening in our generation. And there are, you know, perks to it as well. Just the fact that we have so many resources at hand, uh, the fact that we are not willing to settle, the fact that we um, want to travel the world, that we are constantly on social media like, I want to do that, and I want to do that, and I want to do that. And, like, I, I don't know if it's happened to you, like, within the span of one hour, when you're just surfing YouTube, you're like... I want to learn the trumpet like that guy. And then you're like, oh my gosh, this beatboxer. This is exactly what I do want to do in my life. And then you see this little kid like DJ and you're like, oh my goodness, a 12 year old DJ. Okay. I, that's what I want to do with my kids. Or that's what I, you know what I mean? Like within the span of like one hour, you can have like all these life aspirations and, uh, it's like very dispersed in that way. Like your, your focus is just everywhere. And I'm I'm one of those people. Uh, I, I definitely, you know, have, have wanted to learn beatboxing and all that at one point or another. Um, so this is what the, the Holy Spirit put on my heart uh, for for today's message. Today's message is titled, But As For Me. But As For Me. And... I was praying for Emmaus uh, earlier this month. It was October 8th, so it was earlier this month. And I was praying for Emmaus, and I felt like the Holy Spirit put this on my heart. And I'm just going to read to you word by word what what I felt like he was giving me. Uh, First, he said, death to FOMO. Death to FOMO. Okay? And then he went on to say, stop looking over your shoulder what the other person next to you is doing, if you will shut off those voices of FOMO, look to God and ask him for marching orders, he will plant in you a sense of purpose and mission you've been wanting all your life. Yes, it's true, you won't be able to know what exactly your calling in life is by 22, but you need to break off the lie that you're too young to know who you're called to be. It doesn't happen magically at the age of 30 or only once you've been on 50 road trips to find yourself and Instagram, every coffee date or QT time you've ever had or traveled to 15 different countries or eaten every foodie recommended dish in Seoul, stop the madness, this frenzy of a race to do as much as possible. So you look like you're living life to the fullest, a sense of mission and purpose will happen when the human spirit collides with the Spirit of God and God plants in you a time-release bomb that will hijack everything in your life, your decisions, the way you spend your time and your money, your passions, your relationships. No more babysitting. It's time to move. That's what I felt the Holy Spirit putting on my heart regarding Emmaus. It's a bit heavy, Right, uh, I don't want to come as like a doom and gloom prophet, and you know all that. But I think there's a lot of truth to it. I think your generation, in particular, um, and the way that we are mostly designed is we're designed to be passionate people. And if God doesn't take that object of affection, of, of our affection, place something else will, even if it's on a rotating schedule, like trumpeting and you know trumpet and beatboxing or you know all these different life aspirations that we have. Um, I think our generation in particular has been very gifted in being able to have all these resources at our hands at the tip of our fingers but we are slowly losing the ability to hold a course of direction because there's so many distractions along the way. I don't say uh, I'm not saying it's something that is bad per se to explore <coughs> to really, you know, try to find yourself to really Uh, go to different countries and experience. This is one of the reasons why many of you guys are here. You're like, I want to experience something new. Let me fly out to Korea and see what God has for me there. Um, So it's not a bad thing, but it's a bad thing if it is directionless, if that makes sense. And a lot of the things that we tend to do and a lot of the reasons why we tend to try out a lot of things, it isn't just because we really genuinely want to discover something about ourselves or try something new or see, you know, if maybe I am, I have been gifted in beatboxing all my life. I just didn't know it. I never tried. Um, you know, so that's, that's not a lot of the reasons why we do these things. It's the fear of missing out. It is the fear of missing out. A lot of times, um, you know, I face this every time I'm at home on a Friday night and you're like, I'm, this is not supposed to happen. Like I'm young, like I'm supposed to be out there somewhere. I'm like you, you look on your Facebook new feed and you're like, "How did it happen? How did I end up in my living room on a Friday night? It's not supposed to happen." And you know, I I particularly I live in the middle of Sangsu and Hongdae and all that, and so the craziness is like right outside my window, and I'm like, "Wow, everybody has a life except for me." And then like I go my newsfeed, and I'm like, "Yep, confirmed. Everybody has a life <laughs> except for me." Um, so there's there's something about that where it's like when you're down, the, the enemy has such a good time, like, kicking you while you're down. You're like, it's not like you're there every Friday. <laughs> and It's not like you don't have friends, but that moment you have no friends, you know? Like, that moment, like, it's so like, oh my gosh, I'm going to die old and alone, surrounded by cats. Like, this is my destiny. Nobody loves me. Everybody's out in a party. I didn't get invited. Like, all of a sudden, all these things get blown out of proportion. And it's simply because of a fear of missing out. And if we live constantly just in slavery to that and we're not able to shut off those voices um it's really gonna it's really gonna take over our lives and it's really gonna pull us in so many different directions and never allow us to be walking out in confidence that god will never allow you to miss out on something that he has for you he will not especially if you're seeking after him even people who are not seeking for him, some, somehow like God kind of like, drags them in. Like Many of you guys didn't expect to be at a Christian you know, fellowship on a Tuesday night uh, when you first came out to Korea, and here you are. God hijacked your plans. Uh, congratulations. Uh, <laughs> but my point is, yeah, you can't, you can't just be enslaved to that. It's, it's really going to, at the end of your six months that you're here, or four months that you're here, or four years that you're here, you will look back and see that you're able to build nothing because you never stood still enough to do that. So it's going to come at an expense. Yes, you'll get to experience many different things, but you'll have built up nothing at the end of your four months, at the end of your six months or four years. Um, I want you to just listen. I'm just going to read to you a passage from Psalms. search me god and know my heart test me and know my anxious thoughts see if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting if you truly believe what psalm 139 says and you're able to grab onto that truth the fear of you missing out on something good that god has in store for you it should melt away like this scripture in particular Psalm 139 has the power to do that. If you truly believe in it, (coughs) you won't ever live in this fear of like, something's going out of there and I'm missing out on it. And I better go out there because otherwise it's never going to happen. This kind of like fear driven anxiety, uh, it will never touch you. If you truly believe that every day of your life has been ordained by the Lord and he's a good God who is able to lead you in the way everlasting All the things that God has in store for you, you will not be able to miss out. So you you can't be like, um, you know, you're doing just your own thing. And then God's like, man, I had what I had in store for you was like, you're supposed to meet this person today. And I was supposed to bless you financially through this person. But, oh, well, sorry, you weren't there where you needed to be like. You should have been there at every party so that maybe at one of these parties, you you should have met this person and I would have blessed you. But since you weren't there, I can't bless you. Sucks for you. You know, that's not the way God operates. That's not the way God operates. He has already ordained for you every day of your life. You will not miss out on something good that God has in store for you. This is the same temptation that Adam and Eve had in the garden. When the serpent came to them, he said to them, like, you'll be like God. And all of a sudden in their minds, there's like, I'm missing out on something that rightfully belongs to me. God's trying to cheat me out of this blessing and I have to take matters into my own hands. That's the same lie that the enemy used in the garden of Eden. It's, it's that simple FOMO. That's all it is. Like God is skimping out on me. Like I am not going to get my blessing. I need to take matters into my own hands. Next passage is Psalm 23, and I want you to listen to it, hopefully with new ears, to hear this passage that is so, like, become very cliche and very watered down. Psalm 23 says, The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his namesake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, and my cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That kind of security of I'm taken care of, I have a shepherd. I'm not left to my own devices. I don't have to figure this thing out on my own. There's somebody who's guiding me, and he'll make sure that I get there all the way to the end. He's not going to abandon me halfway through. He's not going to forget to finish something that he already started in me. But he's going to see it through. And that's something that I'm really praying that as, you know, when you are very tempted to be like, something's going on out there and I'm missing out, and this should not happen on that Friday night when you randomly happen to be at home, Um, hopefully these verses become very real to you. Like, I'm not missing out on anything that God has in store for me. And hopefully that will help you slow down a bit. Um, Slow down a bit in the things that you need to slow down a bit on. Um, God's path for us is to go hard and go in a single direction. But it's also to know when to when to rest as well and when to simply abide, when to trust that you're not missing out on anything. Uh but God has it in control. Now second point, so the first one was death to FOMO, right? Uh you really need to put to death the FOMO uh that constantly rises up in you every time you log onto your Facebook um or your Instagram account. Um so second thing that I feel like will just help our generation Uh, in this uphill battle that we have, is taking a stand. Learning to take a stand. I think in our generation, because there's so many opinions out there, because truth is relative, because my opinion is just as good as the next person's and the next person's, uh, regardless of what you're basing it on, and there's so many reasons, especially these days, to be ashamed of the gospel. Um... And to really become embarrassed, like, oh, I guess I still believe in this, like, God that no one can see, and then we'll come back on a white horse, and, you know, you know what I mean? Like, it sounds like crazy stuff, because it is crazy stuff, you know? Like, that's why you need faith to believe it, in the first place. But if uh, a sober, you know, like, non-spirit-filled person were to hear you, it's supposed to sound crazy. It is. And that's kind of the point of it, right? Uh, it's supposed to sound crazy, but for us, in a generation that is so like overly cautious with not offending anybody, with not taking a stand on anything because we're going to offend somebody or because it's going to be unpopular or because like, hey, maybe I don't know the truth. Maybe like this all is loony stuff. Um, We become so scared of taking a stance on anything. Um, My personal belief is that our generation is going to require like Elijah's to begin to rise up. Jeremiah is to rise up, Saul, uh, not Sauls. Pauls to rise up. <laughs> Please, no Sauls. There will be a lot of Sauls, I'm sure. Uh, but Pauls, you know, people that are able to go against the current, and people that are able, you know, to see just like Elijah. He saw 450 prophets of Baal in front of him, and he was one dude, and he still had the nerve to say, "All right." It's on showdown. It's showdown time. Your God against my God, and my God is going to win. And he had the audacity to like stand up to 450 prophets of Baal. Um, you know, it, when when we hear of this account in First Kings chapter 18, uh, this is how the Bible you know narrates this part. It says, "And Elijah came near to all the people and said." So this is Elijah, 450 prophets of Baal, and then there's the Israelites. So he's not addressing the prophets of Baal. He's addressing the people who are still on the fence. And he's saying, how long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. Simple as that. But if Baal, then follow him. What's the problem? Take a stance. That's what he's saying. And the response that Israelites gave him is, and the people did not answer him a word no one was able to take a stance. No one. All of Israel, they have seen the miracles, they have heard of all the things that God had done in the past, they had seen it in their own lifetime, and they were not able to take a stand. <laughs> and I feel like the longer we are immersed in this culture, the more tempting it's going to be for us, either, either out of respect, either out of caution, or... Fear of offending somebody to do just like the Israelites did and not answer a word. This is where the the title of you know, today's uh, today's message comes in. But as for me, but as for me, I'm going to see all of Israel in front of me. I'm going to see 450 prophets of Baal against me, and even in that place, I'm going to be able to stand on the truth. But as for me, Joshua 24:15. And it says, "And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your father served in the region before the beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. It doesn't matter how many trendy, cool religions come through, how many different variations of Christianity come through. But as for me and my household," I'm gonna worship. I'm gonna serve the Lord. I don't know if I I believe Pastor Marcus in, in some previous message he addressed this, but the biggest enemy of Christianity right now in, in our modern day, it isn't it isn't like Hinduism and it isn't even satanic people. It's actually like a watered down version of the gospel. That's the biggest enemy right now, uh, of people who trust in God, who believe that the word of God is the truth. Um, it isn't like something so obvious as like people who are into worshiping Satan. It's Christians who've forgotten to stand for the truth. It's churches that no longer call people to repentance. It's churches that Read the Bible and take it very figuratively, they say, "Well, you know, this is the Old Testament God, and I don't know about the New Testament, but you know, um, you know it's all depending on interpretation and that's what is the biggest enemy to Christianity these days. And that's something that we will get swept into unless we are vigilant. That's the really sad part, where we think that by default. If I just stay where I am, by default, I'm not doing anything extra, I'm going to stay here 10 years down the line. But that's not the case. By default, you're going to be swept in to all these other things that, hey, sounds like they're more loving, sounds like they're more accepting, sounds like this is more what Jesus would say, and the truth gets muddied in the middle, and um, that's a default these days. And if you don't believe me, you should visit many of the churches right now, many of the churches that are, um, becoming more and more ashamed of the gospel. And my third point is very simple. So my first point was put FOMO to death. My second point was, what was my second point? Yes, take a stand. Thank you. <laughs> take a stand, good. Um, my third point, and this is like something that I trumpet, like at every chance I'm given to preach, like this is what I'll always say. I'm always going to say this. And I can't make you do this. This is the tricky part. I can't make you do this. And it is, you need to fall in love with God. Like it has has to happen. If you want a fighting chance, where our culture is at right now, where the world is at right now, where the church is at right now, like you have to fall in love with God. You have to fall in love with Jesus. Otherwise, there is no chance for you. All the willpower in the world is not going to hold you fast to the truth. All the like, hey, I've always gone to a large group. I'm going to be there next Tuesday. All all of that grit and that perseverance, it's it's not going to hold you through what's coming up ahead. You need to fall in love with God. How to say this? So I'm like, right now I'm operating as a dating service right now. And I'm showing you this candidate. I'm saying like, you you should go for him like you should go for him like I can't make you fall in love with him but it's gonna be up to you to accept and go out on a date with this guy because this guy it like has it all it's like full package deal like he will never fail you to forsake you he's like he's the person that you want and so like I cannot date him for you you have to date him so I'm I'm like just pointing you to to somebody right now and that's the tricky part I wish it was simpler where I could do this for you, or I could give you a 10-step process to following with with Jesus. Um, it would be a lot more simple, but it isn't. It, it's going to require you to take that leap of faith, to set apart, consecrate time to get to know this guy. And it's not going to happen any other way. I cannot impart to you the relationship that I have with him. I cannot give you my history with God It's going to have to happen on your terms, firsthand account in your life. It has to happen. Otherwise, even, you know, like our church in particular, we're very like, yeah, let's go hard after God. Yeah, we have to be passionate, we have to be fire-filled. And it can very quickly become about the passion. It can very quickly become about the fiery prayer. um, Losing sight of the object for which you are on fire for, you understand? Like it's, it's gonna, it's gonna catch up with you like eventually where you're going to lose steam. You're going to forget what you're doing, what you do. You're going to forget, why am I here at 7:30 on a Tuesday night when I should be studying for my uh, midterms or, or something. It's, it's only a matter of time before you get to that point. If you are not connecting with God in a real way and connecting with God in a real way, I I promise you, I promise you, somebody who has already dated this guy and is currently dating this guy and I'm trying to sell him to you um, and we can share him. um, I'm a firm believer in this product. Um, There is no way that you seek after him, that you consecrate time apart from him and your spiritual walk and your prayers become dry. There's no, there's absolutely no way that's going to happen like it's guaranteed, a hundred percent guaranteed your spirit, your emotions, your soul is engineered to love God with every fiber of your being. And the more you see him, the more you see his beauty, his worth, his majesty, his glory. The more you see him with every glance, your spirit is, is engineered to react to that. You, you are, you're built for that. So I can say with a hundred percent confidence, level that if you are to date this guy i am 100 percent sure you'll fall in love with him there's he's irresistible that way like he's that good i promise he's he's just that good you cannot say no to this guy um let me read to you uh, a few a few passages from scripture and i want you guys to actually close your eyes if that's okay if you're close to falling asleep don't do it um yeah, don't, don't do it. It's okay. You can keep your eyes open. But if you just need to crowd everything out and just hear this, these verses uh, in a fresh new way, I encourage you to just close your eyes. This is from Isaiah 53. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteem him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him, the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of his all. Philippians 2 Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the father. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed. So now not only my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Psalm 8. O Lord, our God, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens, out of the mouth of babies and infants. You have established strength before uh, because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens... The work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place. What is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Revelations five. Then I saw at the right hand of him who was seated on the throne, a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scrolls and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain, with seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and he took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And we had taken the scroll. and they shall reign on the earth. You can open your eyes again. I don't know if you guys have read these passages before, but I really encourage you. This book is a very dry book unless you're trying to find a person, unless you're trying to get acquainted with somebody. And these passages will ring very hollow unless the Holy Spirit is in you and is illuminating these words and is bringing them into life. There is no way that as you read the scripture and you're asking God to open up your spiritual eyes and you're asking God to stir up your hunger for him. As you're reading these passages, there's no way that you're going to remain dry and aloof and distant and not really understanding who this God is. Once again, we are engineered to react to this kind of majesty, to this kind of glory And the more we look at him, the more we have a revelation of who he is, the more we understand of him. We we don't stand a chance. We will fall in love with the Lord. We will fall in love with the Lamb. There's no way that we will remain dry and backsliding or dealing with all these different distractions when we really begin to lock in with this reality of who it is that we're living for. The reason why I wanted to preach this message at Emmaus, there are a lot of reasons, but I feel like without this vision, without this vision, and without understanding all the things that we're battling against and what it is that we're running toward, it's very easy, even as a Christian, to lose steam and to become very discouraged, to be like, what is this all about anyway? Like, why am I sacrificing all this time? Why? Like I could be studying, I could be making friends with other people, I could be partying it up, like I could be doing all these other things and slowly bitterness will begin to creep into you and this sense of like, man, I missed out on something better will creep into you. If if you're not established in this truth and even serving God will become more and more slavery, will become more and more of a burden and a weight that you cannot carry because you're not made to carry it like that. There's a truth that lovers will outwork a servant any day. Lovers will outwork a servant any day. And the only safeguard that you have against all these different distractions, the only safeguard that you have against fizzling out as soon as you head back home, fizzling out as soon as you get out of Emmaus, uh, the only safeguard that you have against that is that today, like in the present, you position yourself to fall in love with God. You crowd out all these other distractions. You pay the price, whatever it takes, and you position yourself to fall in love with God. That's the only fighting chance that you have against all these other things that will come your way, that will tempt you, that will um, will paint like a more appealing, at times, reality of what your life could be. This is the only safeguard. There's no shortcut to it. There's no way to kind of go around it. Sooner or later, this is going to catch up with you. You need to fall in love with God in a very genuine way. And God will lead you long-term. Not just like all the way through the four years, not just all the way through the four months, but all the way to the end. That's what we should be striving for. Like we want to be 90-year-olds who are crazier about Jesus than these loud Emmaus students. You know what I mean? As loud as you are right now, can you imagine like somebody who's been set on fire, somebody who's been pursuing God for like 50 years of their life? And by the time they reach the end of, you know, their, their race, the kind of desire that they have for the Lord, the kind of longing that they have for His return, like it should be exponentially more than where you are right now. And that's what you need to be aiming for. Not this, like, oh, I just need to make it through, like, this exams week, you know? Like, that's such a short-term goal, you know? And it's only going to get you to the end of that week. That's it, you know? But if you're really after something more, I promise you, whatever sacrifices, whatever commitments you make at this point in your life, when there are so many things that are, like, clawing away at your attention, as you sacrifice these things in order to seek the Lord, you'll be set on a trajectory that is going to take you all the way to the finish line, but for decades, not just for semester, not just for a year, but decades. And that's what Emmaus is about. Emmaus isn't about like, yeah, we had a great semester. Woo high five. That's not what Emmaus is after. Emmaus is after setting people on a trajectory and just seeing them go for decades that's what it's about. And I want you guys to have that kind of zeal. Don't wait for your campus pastor or for your, you know, uh, campus director or your familial leader to be like breathing down your neck for this to happen. Like this needs to happen in you. Like, I don't care how terrible my familial leader is. And they're not terrible by the way, but I don't care how terrible they are. Like I, this is not going to slow me down. Like, I don't care how little or much time I have to pray. Like that's not going to slow me down like that should be your personal commitment to the Lord. You cannot reach the end of this race and be like, well, the familiar leader you gave me kind of sucked. And that's my excuse. That's why I fizzled out at the age of 38. You know, that is never going to be your excuse. Emmaus and your leaders, they are responsible for guiding you, for setting you in a trajectory, for shepherding along the way but you're the one who's walking it you're the one who's yearning for it you're the one who's going to be responsible for it and you're going to be held accountable to that that's what you're going to be held accountable when you face the lord so don't delegate that to somebody else this is where we all no matter how young we are no matter how old we are this is where we become adults and this is our responsibility if i am not on fire it is not anybody else's fault it is not because whatever it is. It is the balls on my court. I have something that I can do about it. Like you cannot be that helpless. You cannot be that. Well, it's somebody, you know, if only Emmaus were more accessible or if only my workload was less like that is not going to stand. That is not going to stand. It needs to be your commitment for your spiritual growth, for your passion for the Lord, your firsthand hand experience an encounter with the Lord. That is what's going to drive you through. And Emmaus is just here to help you along the way. That's what it should be. So I'm going to ask us to go into a time of prayer.